It is Wednesday, the 2nd of October. I'm your host, Ryan Kier, and this is the Quantium Cast. I thought it would be cool to start off with one interesting statistic. I read in the CSRI that markets at the start of the 20th century were dominated by railroads. Yes, railroads. I was as shocked as you were to hear this, which actually accounted for 63% of US stock market value and almost 50% of UK value. And over a century later, it seems that railroads declined almost to the point of stock market extinction, representing under 1% of the US market and close to zero in the UK market. Why am I mentioning this, you ask? Well, a lot of people keep saying that when one big industry declines, jobs are being lost, but we have to understand that jobs are being created from it. A lot of people have said artificial intelligence has ruined employment. Well, if we're looking at figures globally, in some of the world's largest developed markets, employment figures are nearing, if not making, all-time lows. If we scroll back to when the collapse of Blockbuster had occurred, Netflix had risen, and many jobs had been lost in the retail area, in Blockbuster's chains, well, a lot of people were hired to do tech. IT-based support work at Netflix. It's important to note that Netflix's valuation far surpassed the market capitalization of Blockbuster at any one time. So it could be argued that Blockbuster going bust, and there is no pun playing on the words, had actually created more value, and it was almost necessary for the business to collapse. So going back to the point of AI, a lot of people are worried. Well, artificial intelligence is making a lot of more processes efficient in a way that costs are largely reduced and firms are able to operate using machinery. Yes, you have to lay off workers in quote-unquote manual work, but there are so many areas for individuals to actually work. This could be through maintaining, developing, and maybe even monitoring equipment and processes in action. And it's not only industries that change, it is entire economies that can also change over time. If we look at the relative sizes of world stock markets at the end of 1899, the UK was leading at a quarter of global market capitalization. If we look at the US, the US was at around 15%. And the emerging market economies, as compiled, by Elroy, Dimson, Paul Marsh, etc., Mike Staunton, the regulars, they had put emerging markets at around 1.7%. Well, if we look at the start of 2019, the UK share had collapsed from 25% to 5.5% of global market capitalization. The only interesting thing is that we should note with all of these measures is that everything is done based off free float weighted market capitalization that is different from full float weighted and as i've tweeted out before on my personal account at ryan kia 2 on twitter i had noted that the share of global market capitalization from emerging market economies could actually be quite higher because in these nations there are lower levels of regulation to the point that stocks are quote-unquote uninvestable because they are for example quite illiquid and the majority of shares in the market are obviously included 
but not as much as say you'd get on the FTSE 100, 250, 350, etc., or the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ. Those markets are widely traded, in fact, internationally traded indexes. But say if you pulled up Brazil's stock market, you wouldn't assume many people to trade it. It's just a basic assumption that we'd be making here, but it is held valid in this situation. Because if we look at statistics from the start of 2019, the US share of global market capitalization stood at 53.3%. That has more than tripled from the beginning of 1899. It shows that that is the area for investment. It seems that everybody looks at America and then looks at their own one and tries to see if they're okay. Well, I guess that's where the old phrase, if America sneezes, everybody else catches the cold, comes from. To try and analyze all of this on a micro scale, we could probably look back at the individual sectors. Well, as we said, the rail industry has basically collapsed. That is on the stock market, not as a whole, but on the stock market valuations for those kind of companies involved in the rail industry had effectively collapsed. Well, there are some new industries that have actually risen as a result of these areas declining. If we look at oil and gas, technology and healthcare, these industries were almost totally absent in 1900. You can look at telecoms and media, at least as we know them now, are also new industries. If we look at the individual breakdown, we can see that there was an area called Telegraph, and that is basically telecommunications now. There's just a bit more technology involved. But once again, we must note that all of our analysis here relates to exchange-listed businesses. Because in the 1900s, as we mentioned before, some areas were absent, but in this measure, retailers had actually existed. And apart from the major department stores, these were often small local outlets rather than national and global retail chains like Walmart or Tesco or online global giant as we know it, Amazon. Similarly, in 1900, more manufacturing firms were family owned and unlisted, as we just mentioned. In the UK and other countries as well, nationalization has also caused entire industries as we see railroads, utilities, telecoms, steel, airlines, and airports to be delisted, often to be reprivatized later. We can see that railroads haven't really been reprivatized. We can see though that telecoms, steel areas, still seems to be a declining industry. It seems that our stock markets are dominated by copper miners such as Rio Tinto. They're obviously a little bit more than copper miners, but seems to be what we know them by and we could talk about Ferrex Poe, we could talk about Evraz. Miners seem to be relatively dominant, especially from 2016 to now, there's been a larger presence. If we look at uh, another example, Fresnillo, ticker symbol F-R-E-S, we could look at the merger that had occurred between Wrangold Resources and Barrett Gold, taking Barrett Gold off the exchange, how would that affect the weighting of mining in the UK as a whole, if we look at everything from a free float capitalization basis, there are two different measures. There's one called a full float market capitalization weighting method. That is when you take into account even illiquid areas. 
earlier I talked about this issue and if you were to use full float market capitalization weighting, well, you wouldn't have that much of an increase in the total market shares. Looking back at that macro perspective in developed markets such as the US and the UK, but if you looked at emerging markets and those that are not that well known, we could probably pull up a couple of names real quick. We could look at frontier markets such as Bangladesh, Poland, and separate from those guys, even South Africa. South Africa actually had a 3.3% share of global market capitalization on a free float basis. This figure had been at the end of 1899. Well, now they're counted in the smaller yearbook, so we can definitely say that that figure has diminished. Why so? Well, macroeconomic instability could be one, including political instability as well. The markets haven't got enough regulation and so they can't meet requirements. There may be market cap requirements on some stocks to quote unquote make them investable securities. There may be certain things that need to occur, a certain volume requirement. That was a nice teaser at what we're going to be talking about in the coming episodes. Global markets as a whole, we're going to be looking at returns, bonds, bills, inflation, etc. And by sharing our analysis, we'll be able to help individuals such as yourselves to actually broaden your investment perspective. Instead of just investing in one place, you can spread your investments and you don't have to buy different stocks on an exchange. You don't even need to just buy stocks. You could spread into an allocation of say a third gold exposure. So in the UK, we could go through an ETF called the XGLS. You could put a third in bonds. You could put a third in equities. If you use UK-based equities, you could put a third in the FTSE 100 through Vanguard Tracker or something like that with really low fees. If you have high fees, you are effectively hitting your results in the long run. And if inflation picks up, your real returns will diminish. You have to think about every single factor and you're not even guaranteed to make returns. You have to look at the historical drawdowns and realize that that doesn't guarantee you're only going to lose this much in the future. There are so many different variables at play and we hope to just make this feel a little bit easier, dare I say it. Okay, so before we head off and wrap up this episode that was on a kind of new tone, we're going to look at Metro Bank PLC. This company we've covered quite a bit and the shares have been extremely volatile. The last time we covered, there was a shareholder, I believe 683 Capital or a name similar to that, had acquired shares. They'd acquired a decent holding and they were looking to likely buy more. This was just a simple assumption at the time. But as we know with these kind of companies, they are prone to extreme manipulation. If we look at Mentro Bank shares, as soon as this disclosure had been noted, the shares had rallied from 157 pence per share to a high of 215 pence per share. This was from the Friday to Monday changeover. Towards the close of play, there was a rally to around 192, and Monday had a decent rally to 211 before falling off a cliff on Tuesday, which was yesterday. The shares went all the way to 180 pence per share. That gives Metro Bank a market cap of 310 million pounds. Still extremely cheap compared to their book value of around 800 million pounds. The only issue is, when will the shorting end? When will the woes of the business end? These things should be factored in. If we look at Metro Bank right now, in terms of a, a chart view, we 
publish something on our site that I believe still stands valid because the shares had failed to break above 220-ish. It seems if this previous area of support at 157 doesn't hold, then you'll look to a wedge. You can either use Fibonacci or a wedge. You have two distinct areas that come up. It's around 129 to 131 and a half. I would look to buy at around 133, 135, just to make sure I get that value. Because if you can get that, there's upside to around 190. That's a decent 50% return up for grabs. In terms of a stop, I just put it 10% lower. Not much risk. I mean, you're risking around 10%. There is an issue that if the shares get that low, maybe there's another problem causing it. Maybe there's liquidity issues. Well, with Metro Bank, they didn't need to raise those funds that they pulled the plug on. If it, they were so desperate for it, they would have let them go ahead. Well, they had held them off purely because of difficult bond market conditions, which, funnily enough, had also occurred with Sirius Minerals PLC. That's the reason why Sirius Minerals actually might go bust, because they don't have enough capital to meet their existing requirements for their project. But that's a completely different story. What is interesting with Metro is to see if disclosable longs increase over the next couple of days or so. What I would only assume is that the shares will fall back towards the previous support level at around 157. And if they do make new lows, it could only be due to something like manipulation. I can only assume that these guys are holding shares and accumulating. We've also noted that Metro Bank turned a profit in the last half year report. Yes, it was very small, but there were some exceptional items taken into account. Usually their PE ratio would be around 2030 or so. That gave them a PE ratio of something like 100 at the time. Right now though, that makes their PE at around 60. But if we assume it off 2018's figures, their PE stands at 6.3 for a bank that's mega cheap. But we have to probably factor in forward price to earnings ratios after we get one more report and then we'll be able to look at the financials on an aggregated basis because at the moment it's a little bit worrying i mean sleeping at night and holding shares in metro is very risky considering the highs of 40 pounds back in march 2018 and the shares crashed all the way from 40 pounds to one pound 80 as of current that is crazy and management is definitely to blame but there's also some manipulation going on i mean disclosable shorts have rocketed. We'll cover this in the future. If the shares break above 225, there's a decent bit of headroom all the way to around 280, 310, that kind of area. If the shares break down below 192, which they have now, my look is around 131 and a half. The wedge is kind of decreasing, so I can only assume that this is being played. And those who have actually increased their shareholding could maybe reduce their shares or hedge against it whilst shorting and then eventually increase a long position. A typical hedge fund strategy that makes a lot of money. Henderson did it in the past with Ascent Resources. What they do is they get the shares, they hold the shares when they're relatively cheap and they realize that there is quite a bit of downside. So they'd hedge that existing shareholding by going short on the shares, say with Metro Bank in this case. I don't know if 683 is doing this, but it could be possible and they will increase their shareholding in the long run. Once the shares drop a little bit further, they're decreasing their average as well by buying back the shares after they've closed their short. So they're buying them back and they're also buying 
more physical equity. That could be a theory as to why there is probably a Kia Group type rise, but in this case, Metro Bank shares will actually recover. They won't just double and fall back and eventually go into liquidation. Metro Bank is one of the fastest growing banks in the UK and they are the highest in terms of customer satisfaction. I understand that customer satisfaction doesn't pay the bills, but there clearly is some value to this company so that a US firm would be interested, a hedge fund would want to put their money all the way from there in here. Well, that's just a theory. It's totally up to you as to what interests you in getting into the business. We are approaching a really difficult period in the market. Assuming that we don't have a recession, there could be some value here. Metro Bank at the moment are very vulnerable if we had a liquidity issue in the credit market, for example. And yes, we did have a couple of issues in the bond market, but that doesn't mean that they can't raise money. They're trying to do a private placement. But does that private placement mean that there will be issued shares at a much lower price? We don't know. We'll have to see that. I've been your host, Ryan Kier. I'll wrap up this episode as I've got to run and catch a train. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that this new style of podcast is much more helpful at giving both a macro and a micro perspective. And also make sure if you haven't already, sign up on our website at quantumresearch.co.uk and make sure to follow us on Twitter at QuantumCast. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Ryan Kia. Until next time.